0: grow closer to God, that um, a lot of times they get neglected. So um, specifically, these practices are supposed to mold us into the kind of person that God intended us to be from the very beginning, and um, the kind of people that Christ's death and resurrection encourages us and even requires us to become. So today I'm preaching about the practice of serving, and thank you so much, Cheryl, for sharing what you shared, and I think that we're going to find that what you said is going to flow Perfectly well into what I wanted to talk about tonight. When we think about serving, we think about a lot of different things. We think about maybe military service or um, serving on jury duty or community service or, um, you know, however you want to think about service, serving your neighbors, serving the people around you. And a lot of those things are really, really good things. Um, most opportunities that we have to serve in the capacity of leading out and helping people are really good things. And if done with the right attitude, They're God-honoring, they're pleasing to God. Um, But today I want to talk a little bit about what it means for us to have a type of service that is God, purposely God-honoring. And I think perhaps this might be a little bit of an elusive concept for us. I think we find it hard to grasp because, of course, we know or we may have heard that God's grace is something that's given to us freely. It's not given to us based on our merit. It's not given to us based on how good we are. God offers grace and salvation to anybody who seeks it. Um, We are saved by our faith through this miraculous work of grace that God lavishes on us. So maybe we sometimes struggle with the how and the why we serve or should serve. And maybe on the flip side, sometimes we become mired in the the have-tos or the the lengthening to-do lists that plague our days. And instead of being something that's life-giving, as Cheryl has shared, Sometimes it becomes a burden that we carry around on our shoulders, and it's more like a weight, oh, it's one more thing that I have to do. So I think ultimately we shy away from serving because it's hard, it requires something of me, And I feel like we can never really know exactly how much serving is enough serving. What's the quota? Um, Eli's not here, I was gonna pick on him, but for National Honor Society, they give you a, brother, are you a National Honor Society? Uh, they give you a a chart, sorry, sorry, I didn't call you out like that. Job, I, right? yeah. I know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe they're, maybe they're
1: right. I don't yeah. want to leave
0: you out if you were, so that's why I did that. <laughs> uh, but they give you like a, ch- a chart, and you fill in, and you have to have a certain number of hours of serving people in the community. And so I think sometimes um, we think we can just maybe reach that quota. If we can know exactly how much serving is required, then we can just check it off. Our list. So instead of serving because we're pleased to give back to God in that way, we let it become a burden that we carry or avoid altogether. I have a really random question. How many of you are fans of cool whip? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, let's let's do a little survey. Last week when we had ice cream sundaes, we did the ready whip, you know. The, no, that's gross. Okay. Okay. So the other kind, <laughs> the other kind, no, the other kind is the tub, right? Or what you make homemade. Well, okay, we'll get to that. Okay. Right now, we're just talking about the tub or the spray. So, Karen, you'll understand what I'm talking about in a minute. But you have to choose one between the tub or the spray. Okay. So, if you prefer the tub of Cool Whip, the blue tub that you get in the freezer section, raise your hand. Okay. If you prefer the spray, what we put on ice cream Sundays. Now you can raise your hand. <gasps> not everybody voted, so yeah. not, not everybody, everybody gets participation points. <laughs> <laughs> you can off. do this. Flipped. Is it just With going this? in my mouth because then the is There it is. <laughs> <laughs> right? I don't know. Well. Cooler's plastic. Just saying. <laughs> just saying.
1: Okay, so you're going to appreciate
0: this, Jeff. You're going to appreciate this. So Albert Borgman is a philosopher who wrote a book called Power Failure. And it's this book about how technology over the last several centuries has really changed the way we view the world. It's changed our culture and our belief systems. And so he begins his study by talking about cooling. Cool Whip is basically this, like, mass-produced version of whipped cream, right? And it's available to everybody. You can go to the store anytime you want, and you can know exactly where to find it, and um, you know exactly what you're going to get, what it's going to taste like, what it's going to feel like, what it's going to smell like. You know how it's going to um, perfectly accentuate the deliciousness of that chocolate pudding pie at Thanksgiving, right? So you know what to expect when you have Cool Whip. Now. Whipped cream, on the other hand, right? That's what you prefer? For sure. Whipped cream requires hard work, right? So if I were to decide I was going to make my own whipped cream, which I wouldn't because I'm not a food connoisseur and I'm not a very good baker, <laughs> uh, but if I wanted to make my own whipped cream or farm fresh whipped cream to be exact, I would have to get a cow and I would raise cow so it can produce milk, and then I would have to learn how to milk the cow, and then I would have to, after I milk it, I would wait for it to settle and all the cream to settle on top or whatever, to rise to the top, and then I would skim it, which apparently you can do different levels of skimming the milk, like there's heavy cream and yeah. light cream, I guess. There's, a, there's like three different levels. Yeah, like three different levels, like which the I mean heavy whipping cream. Heavy milk. whipping cream, right. So, and then I, so I would skim it, and then I would put in just the right amount of ingredients, and I would let it set in the fridge and I would whip it up and all these, Karen will probably correct me afterwards, but all these wonderful (laughs) things that you do to make whipped cream. The margin of error in whipped cream is a lot bigger than the margin of error in Cool Whip. My whipped cream could fall flat, it could be too stiff, or face it, I might get kicked in the head when I'm trying to milk the cow, because I would have not a clue how to do that. So, it's a lot of effort, and I would prefer to just buy Cool Whip. That's just me, I know. I might get killed for that later, but. um, I think most of us, in general, would prefer the the Cool Whip when you think about the amount of effort that's involved. Um, The idea, in Borgman's, Borgman's book, is that we prefer things that are quick, easy, and cheap. And technology has so changed us that everything we could possibly want is available at the store, just a quick drive away, or with a click of a button. So, by and large, we live in a culture that wants things to be as fast as possible, as easy as possible, and as inexpensive as possible, even if that means we don't know who made it, or where it came from, or any other things about it. In addition to that, or maybe because of that, we don't want anything to make a claim on our time. We don't want anything to make a claim on our thoughts, on our individuality, or on our checkbooks. In general, we don't want anyone else or any other thing to have a say in how we live our lives. Uh, Not our neighbors, not our families, and especially a lot of times, not any particular religious group or ideals. It might not be quite as true with all of you because you're here and you're wanting to hear from God and you're wanting to maybe see or be a part of the community, but if you happen to look around lately, the people around us are hurting. They're lonely, there's a lot of sadness in our world. Just over the last few months, I've personally had experience with several different people who have had suicide touch their lives in different ways, whether they know somebody who committed suicide or whether they have had thoughts about suicide. Um, And just this last week, we heard of another pastor who lost, lost his life to suicide. And over and over again, I'm hearing these stories of people who are just lonely and starving for community. So this major cultural shift has happened, I think a lot of it because of technology, from being this community-oriented people to being a very self-oriented people. And I am convinced that this individualism in our culture, this overwhelming trend that my truth is my own and I will not allow anyone or anything to change my truth, has led to this increasing sadness and loneliness and heaviness in our world. Because we were created to be a community oriented people.
1: The very nature of our
0: being, part of what it means to be created in the image of God, is that we have this really deep longing for relationship, for connection with other people, and for connection with God. So that shift away from being others oriented has made it harder and harder for us to truly connect with people. It's making it harder and harder to be a part of a community that cares and serves and works together for the good of the kingdom. But maybe we need to define even in our new society, Our well, it's not new to us, but as you know, time has changed things, maybe we need to even define, define what it means to be community-oriented. Does it mean that I hang a Wichita flag from my house or wave it, or does it mean that I march in a neighborhood parade? Does it mean that I go to all the ball games or that I volunteer for all the PTO events? Well, maybe, in part, that is part of being community-oriented. Um, But maybe being truly others-oriented is something more than just the activities that we participate in. Maybe it means that I recognize my culturally influenced desire to be unclaimed, and I lay that aside to allow Christ to grow in me a heart of humility and service. Maybe being others-oriented means that we're always thinking of ways that we can encourage the people that are around us. Or maybe we drop a note in the mail to somebody that we know is hurting or that we haven't seen for a while. Or maybe being others-oriented means that we listen with our hearts and our ears completely open and reserve judgment until we have all the facts. Maybe it's allowing somebody else to have a say in how things are done. Maybe it's as simple as coming to church and finding the person who's alone and sitting with that person. Maybe being others-oriented is... is. Bigger than that, too. Maybe it's we volunteer at a local um, place like Interfaith, which is now Humankind, or maybe we, we meet with people in the coffee shop, or maybe it's just thinking outside of ourselves in some way. And I think all of these things feel still a little bit elusive because we're not exactly sure how to grab hold of that. And I think the only way for us to really begin to understand that is to look at the life of Jesus. Jesus lived and breathed others' oriented service. His entire life from giving up his heavenly location and becoming a baby to a complete and total sacrifice of his very life, this exemplifies what it means to serve, to give one's life for the other. So we're reading in John chapter 13 today. Um, I'm not sure if it's on the screen or not. Do we have it? Um, or if you have a Bible or a device or something, you're welcome to turn there with me. John chapter 13, starting with verse 1, says this. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not every one was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should go, that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be to God. So this is one of the classic examples of Jesus' love for his disciples and his love for each of us as well. Jesus, who was the master, the teacher, the rabbi, and the leader of these 12 men, he didn't flout his position and he didn't ask the disciples to do something that he himself was not willing to do. He demonstrated true leadership, true others-oriented caring through serving these 12 men. And there are two things that stand out particularly to me. First, in verse 3, right at the beginning of the story, it says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. And that he had come from God and was returning to God. Jesus knew his place. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, Jesus knew that he had this position of power and influence. And what's so striking about this to me is that Jesus chose to to serve his disciples because of his power and influence and not in spite of it. Jesus had everything to offer even more than your typically powerful person. Jesus had the offering of being able to forgive sins and to heal disease and and ultimately to bring salvation for our fallen nature. And that power, rather than giving him reason to be holier than thou, for him it necessitated that he served. He served because of his power. He became the least, and he did the dirty jobs that no one else wanted to do. Now, did you know that we have power in this room as well? We're privileged people. Even if our finances aren't completely in order, even if we feel like we spend uh, every day from dawn until dusk, working to try and make sure that we earn enough money to take care of our family, even if we're the lowest of the low at our job, even if um, we don't have 12 close disciples like Jesus had, we are privileged, powerful people. We have a roof over our heads. We have a community that loves us and supports us. I think everybody in here probably has enough to eat. We all have some sort of income. We have jobs. Many of us have some kind of education. And above all of that, we have the experience and the knowledge of the love of Jesus Christ. We are a powerful people. And just like Jesus, that powerful position that we are in, it demands that we become a servant of all, that we lower ourselves, that we let go of our egos, practice humility, and become others-oriented people. We serve because of our power and our privilege and our place, and not in spite of it. The next thing that I notice about this passage is that Jesus not only served because of his power and position, but he served without reservation and without selecting who was worthy and who was not worthy of being served. So right in the midst of these 12 disciples, there's Peter, who just hours later would deny that he even knew (coughs) Jesus. And there's Judas, who already had it in his mind that he was going to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that. The scripture tells us that. These two men who didn't get it, who didn't understand Jesus as well as they thought they did, and who, one of them, who was responsible for one of the greatest betrayals of all time. And yet, Jesus washed their feet along with everybody else's. He didn't pick and choose who was worthy. He served regardless of any kind of disagreement, any kind of tension, any kind of fear... Because this is the reason why he came to seek and save and love and embrace the lost with open arms, to serve without reservation. I wonder what the church and furthermore the world could look like if we all chose to serve on the same terms that Jesus served on. What if we served people around us without hesitation? What if we loved others without a second thought to their political affiliation or their bank account status, good or bad? or their opinions on education, or their beliefs about God? Or what if we chose to serve people regardless of their gender identity? Or maybe even regardless of their thoughts about abortion? What if we were people who served unconditionally? Because this is exactly what Jesus asks us to do. He says, I have set an example, and you should do for others as I have done for you. We are expected to humble ourselves, to make ourselves less, so that others may be exalted We are to be others-oriented people, period. I came across a quote this week from one of my professors at Trevanda. She said, the kingdom of God is not us versus them. It is us for them. I think so often we have this idea that if we serve people who have different status than us or if we go out of our comfort zone to try and help people, that they're going to have power over us or they're going to think we're weird. Or I mean, we just have this, kind of hesitation about serving people who are different than us. But the kingdom of God is not a battleground for who is greatest. The kingdom of God is built on a choice made by the people of God to become less so that Christ can become more. All right, so you guys might be thinking to yourselves, that's all well and good, but you told us this is not about a list of to-dos, and that sounds like a lot of things that we need to do, that we need to change, that we need to focus on. How can we possibly add one more thing to our plate? How can we possibly serve one more person? How can we possibly serve like Jesus did in our individualistic society? Remember Cool Whip? we go back to Cool Whip for a second. Somehow, we have gotten it in our heads that the church is Cool Whip. That the church is this nice topping to put on the end of our week, that it will fill in all the cracks, It'll give us the warm fuzzies, and it'll help us to be ready for the next week. And there is a little bit of truth to that. The gathering of this community is a healing place, a place where we can come and be renewed and restored, and where we can have fellowship with people who um, we know love us and care for us. So there is a little bit of that. But the church is not gulip. The church is not some homogenized, perfectly cultivated, perfectly exact formula that works the same whether you live in Denmark or Denver. The church is whipped cream. The church is built on hard labor. The raising of calves, which eventually produce milk that can be skimmed and churned and whipped. And sometimes the whipping up, or the formation of the church, uh, creates these beautiful sugary peaks. Probably when Karen, like, you know, when Karen makes whipped cream, I'm sure it has these beautiful peaks that are just perfect.
1: And sometimes,
0: oh, Robert. <laughs> Sometimes the church turns out imperfectly, and there's parts that are too thick and parts that are flat. So if the church were Cool Whip, it would be a place that required nothing of me.
1: I could come in and
0: experience and be fed, and I could leave, and I would know exactly what I was going to get every time I walked in the door. And it would serve my own desires and scratch my itch for community. But if the church is whipped cream, it's a community made in love. It's built on. The of God's service it requires work because it's made from scratch and the truth is that if the church is whipped cream it's going to make a claim on my life it's going to require me to put forth effort to give up my time and my thoughts to be physically and mentally present when we're gathering to volunteer when things need to get done because if the church is whipped cream it cannot get done without each and every one of us as hard as it is for us to be claimed by the church, to put in the hard work and give of our time and our efforts, that same claim that requires something of us is the very claim that frees us from spiritual death and darkness of every type of sin in this world. The church, God, places this claim on our lives that we can't walk away from, but the claim for servanthood is also a claim for victory over everything that is evil in this world. The claim on our lives to serve as Jesus served also claims our lives for victory over sin and darkness. It makes us a conduit of grace, of God's grace in the community, and it enables us to be the hands and feet of Jesus wherever we go, to be the vessels for God's kingdom, which, by the way, is coming here and now. Even in this moment, God's kingdom is coming, and we get to be a part of that. God's kingdom can be glimpsed through our undying, unyielding service to God and God's church. And we serve the church, and we serve alongside the church as the church reaches out into the community. Because the church is God's plan for the coming kingdom. The church is how God intends to bring renewal and restoration to this fallen world. Does that mean it's easy? Of course not. But it doesn't have to be about accomplishing a list of to-dos or carrying the weight of the world on our shoulders because we've taken on too much. Remember, Jesus is our example. And in Philippians chapter 2, we read this, starting with verse 1. It says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement for being united with Christ, in any comfort from His love, in any common sharing in the Spirit, in any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus literally poured out everything he had. He became nothing so that all of us might experience this life claiming victory over darkness. The service that we see in the life of Jesus is a service that flows out of a life of humility and sacrifice. So maybe, maybe the idea is not that service is always something that you do. Maybe instead, service is something that you are. Or maybe it's something that you are becoming. It poured out humility-seeking, others-oriented follower of Jesus Christ. So the practice of serving obviously has certain implications. It requires that we take steps toward acting in ways that are serving. So maybe we need to be seeking out the needs of others or the needs of the community in ways that we wouldn't otherwise. Maybe we need to be volunteering for humankind or maybe Karen has a place for people to volunteer at the Center for Human Trafficking. I mean, there's all kinds of places. I know the Mental Health Association also has places that you can volunteer to eat lunch with kids. There's all kinds of opportunities for us to go and do and serve. But maybe the idea is that service flows out of a heart of humility. If we wanna be practicers of service, We must first aspire to be humble as Jesus was humble. We cultivate that spirit of humility and that others-oriented mindset that God will begin to reveal to us ways that we can serve those that are around us. Um, Many of you have maybe had the experience of caring for a loved one that's sick or of watching your parents or your aunts or uncles care for an elderly family member um, who's not doing well. Um, This is... Recently, the first time I've had the experience, uh, my parents, I've been watching them for the last two years caring for my grandmother. Um, They bought a house in Illinois, they live in Colorado, they bought a house in Illinois, and they've lived for a while, they're going back and forth between Colorado and Illinois, and then eventually my dad actually retired early so that they could stay in Illinois and care for my grandmother, she was 90 at the time. Um, they took her to countless hospital visits. They took her to all of her doctor's appointments. They befriended her. They had her over for dinner every single evening or they took her out. They helped her and her friends get to church. Um, and, and they just had been caring for her for the last two years. The icing on the cake for me happened this summer when I went to go visit. My mom had just broken her ankle, so she couldn't get down to the basement to do her laundry. And um, my grandma had just had another episode that had put her in the hospital for a few days. So my dad was at the hospital with Grandma, so I was trying to help my mom with her laundry, and I took her load down to the basement, and I went to go put it in the washer, and I opened it up, and there was these ladies' garments in there, there was a a robe, some pajamas, and a pair of underwear, and I went to go ask my mom what to do with them, and I thought they were probably my mom's, and she kind of was baffled, she wasn't really sure, oh, she's like, oh, I bet those are Grandma's clothes, because a few days prior, when my grandmother had collapsed again, and had, Needed to go by ambulance to the hospital. Uh, my dad had been with her, and on the way to the hospital, she had soiled herself. And um, it's surprising because my dad is really squeamish. He doesn't like to talk about these things, things. He doesn't like to, um, you know, clean up soiled things. But my dad in his humility, had quietly taken all these clothes from the hospital, brought them home, and put them in the washer. My mom didn't even actually realize that my dad had done that for her. So as I was carefully hanging up these garments on the line to dry, I just had this thought that this is truly what service that is pleasing to God looks like. My dad, who's always found quiet ways to serve the kingdom, had served his mother until her very last breath. This is the kind of people that we want to be as a church. We want to be selflessly, consistently serving the people that we encounter without hopes for accolades or recognition. We want to be people that pour ourselves out, as Jesus did, for the needs of others. We want to be people that make space for those who are hurting, that put others first and move from our natural state of being self-oriented into that Christ-like state of being others-oriented. So as we prepare our hearts for communion, the Lord's Supper tonight. We're going to spend a few moments searching our hearts. Robert, go ahead um, He's going to do a verse and chorus, and if you want to sing, you can. If you want to reflect on your own life, if you want to just think about ways that you have maybe been serving yourself instead of serving others, if you want to ask God to reveal to you ways that you can serve the community, this will be a time for you to do that. So we're going to just um, sing or listen, and then we'll get ready